Hey gang, Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts is supported by Patreon. Thank you to David Green, Kyle Michaud, Pablo Corden, Jordan Ferguson, Ashley Martinez, Matthew Bang, Dan Reed, Bradford N. Smith, Jade Cor, Paige May, Samuel Chesser, Wynn Richport, Alicia Harper, Gabriel Pezek, Toge, Sarah Thal, Sebastian Sawyer, Shane Lee Miller, Cody Old, and Dan Farrell for funding this episode. Welcome to Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts. The original podcast that painstakingly goes through all Scooby-Doo media in search of those two Scooby-Doo absolutely or Scooby-Don't under any circumstance. I'm your host, Amelia. And I'm your host, Billy. And we're re-watching What a Night for a Night. Scooby-Dooby-Doo, where are you? We got some work to do now. Nice emphasis on the read in that introduction. I, I felt pulled in right there. I'm excited. Thanks. It's because I'm a little phlegmy from this iced coffee. <laughs> it, it is heavy on the cream today, isn't it? <laughs> a little bit. I don't know. I feel like normally they put a little more sweetener than cream or, you know, in an ideal world, it would be more coffee. But that <laughs> that's not what we're getting today. It's a, it's a creamy sweet drink. The sponsor of today's episode. We'll give you no brand information. No, no, because they didn't actually pay us. That would be an important element of a brand deal, is they pay us, and then I say their brand name. Instead, I'll just describe their product. <laughs> Poorly. Here we are, listeners. As promised in the last episode, we're here for a rewatch of What a Night for a Night, and this time, we might actually talk about the episode. Might. No promises. <laughs> Uh, because my at-first glance is still fundamentally about Scooby-Doo as a whole. And I think it's just because right now we've been lurched back in time, essentially 50 years, and I have a few observations about Scooby-Doo, Where Are You, compared to the modern series. First of all, these opening titles used to be like 40 minutes long. Yeah, like a minute long was standard mm -hmm. up through until, like, the the aughties. Yeah. Like, I feel like it's only recently we've had to cut it down so much because you gotta fit in more commercials. And here's the thing. Nowadays, what with the streaming and the binging, I think we're due for a reemergence of the long title sequence. I think this could be a thing that we see again in the future. Well, maybe we already have. And, uh... We just can't tell because Netflix automatically skips the intro. Right. Well, no, you have to press a button still for it to skip the intro, right? It's been a while since I've been I on Netflix. I think it'll automatically Honestly. skip the credits. Credits you have to fight tooth and nail to watch. But opening title sequences, I think, still are, are default on. Did he... Did he open that little whiskers? Is that a smear of I gravy on the ground? I think that's a smear ground? of gravy. Our cat took a small packet of whiskers and carried it across the room. Perfect portions are perfect for carrying in his little cat mouth. And here's the thing, it's impossible to stop him because it's adorable. Like, if he's being cute, he can do what he wants. That's my opinion. 
But I should probably pick that up and put it in the fridge now that it's been opened a little bit. I will be right back. Now, is that actually gravy on the floor that you have neglected to clean up? I didn't clean it up, no. I <laughs> Someone, Egon, come lick the I floor. Figured, I thought he probably did lick it up. That's mostly saliva. <laughs> I'm going to imagine. We live like kings. We do. Here in our gravy-covered apartment with our fat-ass cat. So, we have watched a few of these older Hanna-Barbera series lately. We've gone back to Funky Phantom. We've gone back to... The Clue Club and the Jan Clan, all those classics. There really is a magic to Scooby-Doo, isn't there? Yeah. Because even just going back to this one episode, it's so much better than the rest. I love Scooby-Doo. I can say that. Can I do my at first glance, which is actually about the episode? Which is what we promised this podcast episode was going to be about? Yes, please do. We need to talk about the question of why Wickles got into the suit of Black Knight armor at the train station while Hyde White, Professor Hyde White, was driving him to the museum instead of just waiting until the professor got to the museum because at the end he's just like, yes, he did it to, uh, to show what a strange disappearance it was that I had disappeared. And yet, like, Professor Hyde White could have still disappeared at the museum and still been mysterious. Agreed. Most disappearance cases are mysterious. Yeah. No, this is something that I wrote down because we didn't give it its due when we first watched this episode. Mr. Wickles gets in the armor and, and hides in the case so that he climbs out of the back of his moving pickup truck. And into the cabin in a full suit of armor. Like, while the truck was in motion. To, I assume, strangle Professor Hyde White or do something to knock him out. And then wrestle control of the car. <laughs> that would be an intense sequence. He had to have had another person helping him. Because he leaves the armor behind in the truck. Yeah. But not Professor Hyde White. So well, if he tied up Professor Hyde White and dragged him to the museum, that truck wasn't at the museum. What I imagine is Mr. Wickles in the armor takes out Hyde White in the truck solo, somehow stops the truck from crashing, and then toodling along in whatever vehicle they have are the two delivery men henchmen who, like, then escort him back to the museum. But, like, if if the other two deliver him, like, how would they get in the truck? It's only Wickles in the truck with, with Professor Hyde White. And how did Wickles get into the suit of armor before it was unloaded from the train and put into Professor Hyde White's truck? Did Wickles jump onto a moving train several stops earlier, climb into the suit of armor... Like, While is, the train was moving, this is a lot. This is a fucking heist! For kidnapping one man. This is the show? <laughs> Why aren't we doing this? I would love a remake from Mr. Wickle's perspective of him putting this heist together. It's way more work than is necessary. But it's very, very good. So yeah, definitely didn't give credit. To the Black Knight for all of that planning when we first talked about it. 
Would you like an official premise for this episode? I don't see why the listeners can't just go back, re-find episode one, and listen to the premise there. Well, I mean, that is an option that you have, but in case that you are, like, currently in a, in a truck in motion, you know, sometimes people listen to podcasts while they're driving. Where I are you driving in this pandemic? folks. Museums still <laughs> gotta get their deliveries of black armor, Amelia. So we can't let this pandemic stop us. <laughs> when Scooby-Doo and Shaggy find an abandoned pickup truck with a knight's armor in the front seat, the gang deliver it to the museum in place of the missing professor. However, this black knight is said to come alive every full moon. As the gang investigate the knight, they realize that it is a full moon. And the night has come... ALIVE! <gasps> what the hell was all that about? I don't know how to vocalize this, but it's, it's ALIVE dot 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 exclamation point. I don't know how to read that. I, I just gasped. But there is a lot going on even here. The fact that the black armor comes alive every full moon? That's werewolf shit. Why are we doing werewolf shit with a black knight? Why not? Ghosts can have patterns. Yeah, I mean, and it makes it original to Scooby-Doo. This now is an original creation that you have by mashing up two existing elements. Who says it's only werewolves that are going to be affected by the gravitational pull of the moon? Knights also famously affected by the gravitational pull of the moon. Oceans. <laughs> uh, so which member of the gang do you want to start with today, Amelia? Do you want it to be uh, Shaggy, Scooby, Daphne, Velma, or the other unnamed man? <laughs> is it, does no one call him Fred? <laughs> no, his name is not spoken in this episode. Oh, goodness. That's so very, very sad. Yeah. I don't know when we're going to get a name drop for this fella, but, you know, the fella in the ascot. The fella in the ascot. He expositions us to death, his very first line. He says that there is a knight sitting behind the wheel of the truck when both us as the audience and the gang that he's standing with can see that with their own eyes. And it's such a bizarre line reading from Frank Welker. He, he says, What's a dirty old suit of armor doing in the driver's seat of this pickup? Like, I think he's just looking down at his script and then looking back up to read it. Like a third grader at a talent show. Dirty suit of armor. Yeah. He might have said dingy. Still. Yeah, it's judgmental. It is judgmental. What's your armor look like, Fred? <laughs> is he part of, like, an ethnic group where an Anglo-Saxon knight would be a horrible deal to see charging over the, the highlands? Because <laughs> he's very white, y'all. I was gonna say, Amelia, I don't think uh, Fred qualifies for any ethnic group other than white. That's he's, a joke. He's very blonde. He's very pale. I think if you look up white privilege in the dictionary, a picture of Fred Jones is just there. Can we all just take a moment to appreciate the massive wooden ladder that Fred pulls out of the back of the mystery machine? Fred's bag of tricks. In recent years, it has manifested as the van being able to transmogrify into any fucking shape yes. or design that Fred Jones wants. But here, it's simply that he can keep a wooden ladder three times the length of the van in the van. I mean, it, this is a non-collapsible ladder, folks. This is solid it's wood. It's wood. 
And when he reaches into the van to get the jack to jack it up higher, mm -hmm. his arm is three times as long as it needs to be in that shot. So I think the van is like the moon and has some sort of gravitational pull well, as well. I was wondering, is the van, is it, you know, like it's the mystery machine. Is that like sort of like Mr. Dress Up's tickle trunk? Is it some sort of, you know, Mary Poppins bag? Where, oh, like a mystery, what could be in the machine today? Was the tickle trunk a bottomless pit or was it just that's where costumes were? I never watched Mr. Dress Up and thought that is a black void of a right. trunk that he can pull any costume out of. I just assumed that's where he well, kept Well, I think it's that he pulled appropriate a, a number of costumes out of it over the years that feasibly they couldn't all be in there at once. So either he is pre-planning these episodes and putting costumes in there that would be later appropriate to the plot. And we know that can't possibly be true. No. Or it's, it's infinite. It's an infinite space that pulls out what you most desire or need right now. Look, Mr. Dressup had like, what, 3,000 episodes over the course of his career I on the CBC? So. I think they might have been pre-planning those episodes, Billy. I don't know. I think they just rode around whatever came out of the tickle trunk that day. Okay, so he has the ladder, and Shaggy climbs up the ladder, and is like, oh, it's not tall enough. Oh, well, we'll have to figure out something else. No, Fred decides that with Shaggy already on the ladder, he is going to jack it up. And you look at Fred doing this. And has anything ever seemed so precarious in your goddamn life? Car jacks don't go that high. I mean, I took auto shop in high school, so maybe it was just the ones that they supplied to public high schools. But they probably like a foot and a half tops. So, and the way but he's Fred is just going. The way he's doing it, where it cranks it, and then it just like like shoots up. Like it's a jarring movement. And Shaggy's on the top there. I have to imagine at one point the balance will be shaken. This is why women live longer than men. When we break and enter, we don't do it stupidly. Fred has a very dangerous idea with the carjack. Mm -hmm. But he makes up for it by having Scooby Snacks available. He does. Of course, for... Shaggy isn't <laughs> eating them yet. No. He doesn't start eating them, I think, until Decoy for a dog napper. That sounds right to me. I think I remember that. Says the man who remembers nothing. No, but I did observe this episode, and I can confirm that Shaggy didn't eat any. <laughs> <laughs> I can refer to those notes. So Fred, keeper of the Scooby Snacks here in episode one. That does change later on. Uh, should we move on to Shaggy and Scooby? Sure. So, Scooby is significantly braver than Shaggy in this first episode. Specifically, I'm looking at this first scene. Shaggy and Scooby-Doo are walking in the night, and Shaggy pushes his big dog forward because he's scared of a noise in the bush. This is something that's changed a lot in recent years. Now, they're both scared of everything. Yeah, now they're both fucking horrible cowards. I, I have to say that later in the episode when Shaggy yells, Scooby-Doo, do something, and Scooby does, it's really nice to see a Scooby that won't leave Shaggy's life in danger yeah. after so much be cool. 
where the, it's very clear that he does not care if Shaggy dies. And this is, you know, my home characterization. I really love the idea of Scooby-Doo as a protector. Not like a Scrappy-Doo where he is aggressive. Like, he's a chill dog. He's absolutely a chill dog. But, like, you know, you ask him to go forward, he's gonna go forward and check it out. I think a dog is probably the easiest way to make a, a timid person feel a little braver. Yeah. You know, outside of the official constraints of a service dog or an emotional support dog, just having a big-ass dog guarding your back while you're at, like, an ATM in the night? It, fuck yeah, you feel braver. It, it makes so much sense that he would have this dog, and that everybody reacts to Scooby-Doo in such a positive way in this episode. Like, this is how you would react to a dog. Yeah. You would just enjoy having a dog around. You wouldn't be like, oh, this dog that's always doing dumb shit. Like, there is literally a scene between Velma and Scooby-Doo in this episode, and it's very nice. They're making their way home from the movies after a double feature of the same movie that Scooby <laughs> insisted they stay and watch. Where the fuck does Shaggy live? Because this is fucking no man's land that they are walking through. Right. I could understand it if it was a drive through but they are walking. And what kind of drive through is going to play the same movie back to back? I mean, yeah, usually, a, a, like, a drive-in double feature would be two movies. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the same one. It's, Although not, maybe... it's not a multiplex where it just keeps playing and playing. They churn them out. Maybe it's a new release. So, like, they watched the 7 o'clock one and then stuck around for the 10 o'clock airing? I don't know. I feel like this is different from how movie theaters actually ran back in the day. There were new releases. Yeah, yes. Just not in <laughs> yes. a megaplex It's not, situation. you know, this wasn't 2020 where all new releases were put on hold. All new releases included Sonic the Hedgehog and that was it. Well, we peaked, Amelia. Sonic the Hedgehog came out and Hollywood said it's official. No more movies necessary. We've done it. So, what, where are they walking? Where does Shaggy live? Just... He lives on the edge of the creepiest fucking woods imaginable. No wonder he needs a big dog with him well, all times. There's like coyotes and shit coming after him. You know what? I'm going to throw this out here too. It is 1969. Urban expansion hasn't happened as much as it has nowadays. There was just more nature around. I have a very, very important note here, which is simply Scooby's facial expressions rule. He's very expressive in this episode, and I really like it. I like that this is Casey Kasem Shaggy. There's so much charm here. He's really the only Shaggy worth talking about, honestly. Coming back to Casey Kasem after Matthew Lillard, mm -hmm. there's no competition. I think people nowadays kind of forget how good, how good Casey Kasem, Kasem was. was. Because I see things on Twitter all the time that Matthew Lillard reblogs that are just like, oh man, he was born to play this role. No one else compares to Lillard. And it's like, yeah. excuse well, me? No, I will <laughs> I will defend him here because often I have seen people say that and Matthew Lillard it will actually say, no, Casey Kasem is shaggy. Not on any of the times I've ever seen. Well, maybe he's doing it less nowadays. But I agree. Casey Kasem defined the role and with very good reason. He does it so well. When Scooby... Ca caveat? Pilatus Squad, rise up. 
I, w- I will I will state officially my my continued love for Nick Pilatus, and probably sh- he should have gotten more of his due. The part where Scooby is standing on top of Shaggy and Shaggy giggles. He's like, "Town boy, down!" And he's like <laughs> trying to be quiet because they've broken and entered into some place. But yeah. He's also just enjoying some dog affection. Like that's so sweet, mm-hmm. so cute. No one but Kasem could have done it. Yeah, Kasem, K- we miss ye. Ye? Ye. I gave it gravitas. So as you mentioned before, at one point, Shaggy does say Scooby-Doo do something. And Scooby does our first disguise bit. Something we've been seeing a lot in Be Cool Scooby-Doo lately. Scooby runs in as a painter and does a little skit to distract the monster. It's not a skit. It's, it's kind of paint a, in his face. It's kind of a skit. <laughs> That's like just spraying someone with spray paint and being like, ah, I got you with my skit, and then running off. If I was in a costume, and if it all made sense, you know, I had a, I had a sense of character under it, that would qualify as a skit. When Scooby balances on top of Shaggy, at the point where Shaggy is delighted and is like, down, boy, down. Scooby has got his massive Great Dane, wait, balanced two front paws on Shaggy's stomach, two back paws yeah. on Shaggy's dick. And that cannot be comfortable. <laughs> Sco- How big is a Great Dane? We determined this years ago, but like, that is a lot of weight. And doesn't Scooby seem like such a big dog in this episode? I know I'm saying it like over and over again. But he just seems so much like a big, awkward dog. And we get away from that as he becomes not a dog, but becomes like Scooby-Doo, trademark, trademark, copyright. (laughs) The character that we've known and loved for 50 years. Here, he's definitely not big enough and be cool. Yeah. Like, the scaling is all off, man. This was supposed to be a huge mutt of a Great Dane. Like, the last cell in a Great Dane pedigree puppy mill because he's gangly and gross looking. Yeah, he's just so much more fun as this. Is Is he set to kill a man that walks through that back door? Because they leave him on guard duty. At the back door. And, like, is he set to kill anyone that walks through that door? I don't think they would make Scooby-Doo kill a man. Well, then, what's the point of having a guard dog? Just a two-block... You know, honestly, with how big of a dog he is, I think he could just hold the door closed. (laughs) (laughs) If he puts his weight to it, he'd he'd be alright. Shaggy does three things in this episode. Okay, let me see if I can guess them. Okay, he... Breaks into the museum. No. He does do that thing, but it's not one of the (laughs) things I have listed. Okay, well like, if you can stop making every conversation about yourself, Billy C. Sure, Amelia Wellman. Tell me the three things that he did. He does ventriloquism, gymnastics, and bad jokes. Okay. How many of those carry forward into future episodes? None of them. Shaggy has absolutely no personality nowadays besides cowardly and eating. He doesn't do gymnastics because nowadays he feels significantly anti-sport. Right. but And he uh, doesn't do ventriloquism. The bad jokes, I would say, were a staple all through Casey Kasem's run. Because I can remember little jokes he was doing up until What's New Scooby-Doo. Okay, but here's the thing, Billy. What's yeah. new 
ended in 2006. I know, but That's I think... That's not modern era anymore. I'm not saying up to the, to the modern era. I'm saying through Scooby-Doo proper. And I think if you're going to talk about gymnastics and ventriloquism, those end in this episode. No, he does ventriloquism a couple times more. I'm okay. sure of it. Okay. But the bad jokes, though, those continue for 30 to 40 years. And I don't think those years should be discounted just because they are now in the past. Well, I don't recall anyone getting as much enjoyment out of them from from this episode onwards. In terms of the characters in the episode or you and I? Or Both. Or any audience members? Both. Okay. Scooby giggles along with them. Velma leans in off screen to jab him in the ribs. Oh, you comedian, you, in a playful way. I took that as the first Velma insult, to be honest. I think that was as harsh as she was going in 69. You comedian. Uh, can we move to the Velma vision, actually? Sure. She has some weird turns of phrase. Specifically, I'm looking at when they're in the library, and she says, Hold on to your hula hoops. Hula hooping was very popular when she was a child. It absolutely was. Ten... She did. She would have been a child in, uh, if they're 16 and 69, like 63, she would have been probably prime hula hoop yep. age. And I, I think 50s, 60s, that's when you really got the hoops going around the waist. You look a little earlier, 30s and 40s, they were just moving it forward with a stick. That's all they were doing with the hula hoop then. I've it never... took an innovation in the 1950s for someone to pick it up and start twirling it around the waist. I remember one time... I was in the kitchen while my nanny was talking about something from her childhood. Yeah. A toy of some kind. And I was, I looked over my shoulder and said, what, one of those giant hoops that you pushed with a <laughs> stick? And I got sent to my room. <laughs> you got sent, sorry, you got sent to your room for that. For, for implying that nanny was born in the 1920s. Go to your room. <laughs> Mom got a good laugh out of it, though. For context, my grandmother was born in 1934. I was gonna say, it's gotta be kinda close like, for our grandparents. I think probably my grandparents were born in the 20s. Some of them, at least. I'd have to go. Some of them? How many grandparents do you have? Four. Biologically. Yeah, some of them I don't know. a lot more. Some, some, no, some implies more than one. Okay, well, you've also got more than four. What's this with, like, I Grandma do. Betty? You Grandma just, Betty's great. Everyone's a fucking grandmother to the Seawire children. I am a, I'm a, I'm many things to many people, and one of those things is a grandson. Listeners. Ain't nothing grand about you. I think, Velma. A man in a suit of armor kicks her in the ribs and she doesn't flinch. We've said it since the beginning, folks. Velma's a tank. Her core strength is unbelievable. Rock solid. Like, she hardly even notices when that night passes through her. (laughs) Don't say that. Doesn't uncomporealize Velma very briefly. He trips over her and she thinks it's shaggy. So she... Without her glasses, she doesn't have her glasses on for anyone who's never seen What a Night for a Night. And And that makes it difficult for her to see. So she's like, Shaggy, is that you? And the night groans and Velma says, I thought I told you to take care of that cold, Shaggy. It's a good thing I brought your medicine. 
And she starts pouring medicine into a spoon that she has with her. <laughs> carries, a, carries a bottle of medicine and a spoon and with her. And a tablespoon. She's not carrying a purse. These are on her person at all times. Not only does she not have her glasses on so that she can't tell it's shaggy, but she can pour a perfect tablespoon of cough medicine without the glasses. Yeah. But then, even worse... Shaggy makes his reappearance to have that medicine, and the glasses are back on her face somehow. So she continued to pour medicine for the Black Knight, who was in stocks at the time, I, so I think that counts as torture. It's weird. I think she was so focused on... So here's the order of operations. Her glasses fall off. The knight trips over her and makes some sounds. Gets stuck in stocks where he makes the sound. She thinks it's Shaggy. So she gets up, she takes out the medicine, pours it into a spoon, and then looks around for her glasses with the medicine in the spoon, grabs her glasses, stands up and puts them on. By this point, Shaggy is in front of her. She shoves that spoon in his mouth. She's a dear and caring friend that she cares more about Shaggy's persistent cough and cold than her own glasses. Her sense of balance, though, to keep the medicine in the spoon as she's searching. How much cough syrup did you have as a kid? Uh, when I coughed, I would get it? Yeah, I just... I don't know. I feel like it was a large part of my childhood, and I have hardly had any at all as an adult. Um... Children are more prone to that shit. They're walking Petri dishes. Right, okay. So I'm healthier um, now. I feel like I had more of that medicine that tasted like bananas than yes. I ever had cough syrup. But I can't remember what the banana medicine was for. Like, ear infections? I got a lot of ear infections as a child. That's That rings true to me. It was definitely not an everyday thing, but it was like, okay, now now it's your banana medicine week. It's, you know, it's we're on this train right now. In the 90s were perilous. There's <laughs> banana medicine everywhere. <laughs> so, as I said before, there is a lovely little scene where Velma and Scooby go off together. Uh, Scooby's teeth are clattering, and Velma, again, chattering. Clattering. They're falling out of his head. <laughs> you're, you're right. Chattering is the accepted term. Uh, being the caregiver, she ties his mouth shut with a kerchief. And then there's the Daphne dilemma. The Daphne dilemma. She, in this first series of Scooby-Doo, does very little but drop exposition. I disagree. I think she's a key component of the mystery solving. In the first scene with the full gang, she picks up exactly as many clues as Fred and puts them together. That's all exposition, though. When she walks into a room and says, look, those two paintings are identical, but one of them is unfinished. We can see that with our eyes as the audience. Right. Just like we can see the suit of armor sitting in the truck. But she, she found that receipt on the ground. Or the invoice or whatever it was. I, I just think Given Daphne that, doesn't get her due a lot of the time, and I think she and Fred are equally the leaders of this group. No way. Fred would I, never allow that. I, <laughs> I think, won't allow that. I think today he won't, but this nameless gentleman <laughs> certainly will. We got a Daphne who was the leader in the 80s. That's quite enough <laughs> where she, of that. Where she got a 
pantsuit. No, it wasn't even. It was a jumpsuit it was a that jumpsuit. she had. I think she occasionally wore like a blazer, but she wasn't rocking a Hillary Clinton pantsuit until no. she got to Zombie Island, I think. Uh, Daphne considers Shaggy the swigginest gymnast in town. In school. In school. Okay. In town, there are some other swinging gymnasts. Is this good? Is this a compliment she's giving him? Swingingest could imply anything. Swingingest sounds good to me. Like, if I was just called the swingingest guy, I think that means that I have swagger. Like this. See the way I'm moving my shoulders right now? Like your cross-country ski? <laughs> That's swagger, with, baby! With your boomer mother? <laughs> Look, have I gone cross-country skiing with my mother? Yes! But that doesn't mean I'm not the swingingest guy in oh, town. Oh, it does. <laughs> it does. Um, because on the list of things that you can do with your body, cross-country skiing is right down at the bottom with, like, miming. So. <laughs> Great moment with Daphne at the end of this episode, where she suddenly remembers <laughs> Professor Hyde White exists. And it's, like, a very genuine, like, oh my gosh, the professor. He disappeared. The police should be looking into this. <laughs> yeah, and then she's like, hey, this is an element that hasn't exactly been wrapped up. Maybe let's find the missing person. No, Daphne, you have to start a true crime podcast if you want to find Professor Hyde White. Daphne sees a door that she didn't come through to get into a room and assumes it's a back way out. Okay. Why? I don't walk into a room and then see a door in the back and assume that's a back way out. I would I, assume I, it's a, it's, closet first. I could even think another way out. But the, the judgment of saying it's a back way. I mean, museum, they, museums notoriously are all about through traffic. You're supposed to go in one way and out the other. But this is a secret room. Why does she assume that a room that someone goes to all the trouble of hiding behind a sarcophagus mm. is going to have an easily accessible back way out? You know, That's two doors you now have to hide. Daphne is very particular about the fire code, and she understands that in a case of emergency, you can't only have one exit. I'm very particular about building code. Let's do something we didn't do when we first talked about this episode, and let's go over the minor mentions. It's one. <laughs> uh, I guess technically two if you consider the wrap-up, but, like, it's not even really part of the mystery. Yeah, I mean, we, sometimes we do talk about the villain characters in minor mentions when, you know, we're, we're talking about their secret identities. <laughs> so I would like to mention Mr. Wickles here. He is the curator of the museum. He is a... Short, fat, and bald. I, uh, yes. Large man that's, who lacks hair. That's really all I have to say about him. I'm also going to note the sad expression on his face. His body shape is not that of the Black Knight. But I think that this suit of armor is a magical shape-changing suit of armor <laughs> because when Scooby puts it on at the end, the finger plates turn into his paws. Whoa, do they? Yeah. That's impressive. Some sort of magical suit of armor. So maybe once Mr. Wickles gets into it, <laughs> he gets elongated to fit mm -hmm. it properly. He is the, uh, the curator of this museum. Seemingly the only employee. 
What about Professor Hyde White? Well, Professor Hyde White, I don't... How is he employed for the museum? Who is this man? He's a professor, but, like, you don't teach courses at a museum. No, it seems kind of like he's in charge of this new exhibit that has to do with the Black Knight. We only really get to know him at the end. We see him at the beginning when he's driving, and at the end once he's been freed. Isn't that so like the British? Oh, we need a British curator to follow this. No, no suit of armor has ever been as impressive as this suit of armor. Meanwhile, no one of Greek descent is overlooking the Elgin marbles at the British Museum. And can I just say, Professor Hyde White, when he does speak... It is such a spectacularly weak British accent. Like, he has a British accent the same way that Fraser has a British accent. Just a little posh is all it is. Ah, hello there, I have a British accent. How are you? Um, I want to point out that we find him tied up behind, like, a ceremonial mask <laughs> at one point. And then it cuts immediately to him in his office with, like, a pipe telling the kids what happened. <laughs> He's so chill. How long has he been tied up? When's the last time he got any water? Take him to the hospital, <laughs> Mystery Incorporated. Excuse me, I would like to go get a change of clothes as I've defecated all through these ones. <laughs> like, shit! <laughs> no. Someone check his vitals! We don't know. That could have been, like, a week later the gang came for a wrap-up. Other characters we have, we do have two delivery men who I guess were in on the crime. I hate this, Billy, that you feel the need to mention two men that have one second worth of appearance and no lines. Well, you know what? So obnoxious. We, we didn't talk about them when we first did the episode, so I'm just trying to be thorough so we don't have to do this a third time. There's also a sheriff. Not a policeman. But a sheriff, if that tells you anything so, about the justice system. An elected official, not someone who's actually good at the job. Because sheriffs are elected, right, America? Is something stupid like that? I know coroners get elected, which is fucking Coroners ridiculous. get elected? Yeah, there was a whole jo John Oliver special about, like, a coroner who was, like, keeping corpses out of the freezer so that, like, he could chill his lunch and shit. Shouldn't they just be doctors? Shouldn't they? Yeah. You would think. But I'm pretty sure everyone is elected in America under the guise of freedom. See, this is something we haven't had to discuss because there are very few coroners in Scooby-Doo. You can be tied up in an Aztec tomb for a month and just smoke a pipe afterwards and feel well. <laughs> well, it was the 60s, so... All right, let's talk about the villain, the Black Knight. It's a suit of armor. That comes to life under a full moon. I find that part crucial, and I always forget about it. It's just, it's just a neat bit of lore. Uh, but it, as we see it, uh, a large knight, dark armor, coming to kill. And it, it, I think it's a good opportunity to compare this, because we did just see the Black Knight in a Lego Scooby-Doo adventure. So how do you think this knight compared? Exactly the same. Suits of armor are not scary. This is like looking at a skeleton and thinking that's a monster. Right. No, that's bones. <laughs> well, who was- well, Like, you look at a suit of armor and it's like, that's plate mail. <laughs> like... I can take that. Look, I'll just get this woman to kneel down and he'll trip over it. She won't feel a thing. <laughs> Foolproof plan. Uh, so the master criminal plan 
I, I think we already went over a lot. We know it's Mr. Wickles. He is an art forger, or, or as the sheriff says, an art swindler. He swindles art. Swindles it up good. Uh, and he pulled off this spectacular uh, vehicular heist with Professor Hyde White for just the sake of taking him out. Because I, I guess in addition to curating medieval armor and its associated mythology, Professor Hyde White also can tell an art forgery. Mr. Wickles built a secret room behind a sarcophagus. The man is extra, so I do not doubt he'd pull a heist. I do, however, doubt that Professor Hyde White could identify every art forgery yes. in the museum. I agree. I think it's and here's wrong. And here's the thing. He's obviously a talented forger. Because it's identical. You know, it, it's it's yep. it's along the lines of you'd probably have to carbon date the paint or something to find out what's more modern. So, Mr. Wickles could sell, he's selling the originals in this case, but I think he could sell the forgeries. That's what most forgers do. If you can for, forge, forage, if you can forage through a museum... <laughs> And find a painting, that's fine. Just go sell that. So, but if you're going to forge a painting, then just sell that one. So for feasibility, he did it in the wrong order. But as we can see, order of operations was not the Scooby Riders' <laughs> main talent. They no. were not good at it. Hence that Velma scene. And oh my god, it, like, how poor self-esteem does Mr. Wickles have to have that he's told that like an expert is coming to the museum and he just freaks out like this. Like, this museum is not well off. It's never had an expert before. An expert in anything. He's sweating. <laughs> like, oh god, he's, just, he's gonna know all these dinosaur bones are paper mache. <laughs> so, tear scale. I'm still only at a two, and that still feels pretty generous, given that this is a black knight that doesn't even carry a weapon. Uh, I think, you know, I'm not going to change my number. That's canon. I'm pretty sure my number was a three. We just re-listened to this. I'm positive that you Were we also both had two? it as a two. Well, then I'm all right, Then I'm going to bump him up to a three. That one Just to make me angry? No. <laughs> that one extra point is because I realized how awesome the fight in the car must have been to wrestle control of both the vehicle and Professor Hyde White. I don't White. think you get to rate it for hypotheticals that are happening in your mind. Okay, then I can leave it as a two. I will, however, say that going forward with many art forgery schemes ahead of this, this isn't a crime. Swindle art. Sell it to stupid rich people. Victimless crime. It's an art in itself. The fact that there are people that are like, no, 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 don't, don't forge art do it. Go go watch the Orson Welles classic, F for Fake. You'll learn a lot about forgery and magic and really, just good old-fashioned charm from these folks. General thoughts and feelings? The detail on the green Chinese lion statue where Scooby finds the specialty glasses only made in England. Yeah. Which is important for some reason. I still don't know why all these many viewings later. But... That statue, the detail, I can tell you that that's a Chinese lion, that the details on it. Like, you kind of forget- I feel like I've been to a museum now. You kind of forget in between the animation airs of this series that it looks good. 
This is a good detailed series. Occasionally, Shaggy is blonde. <laughs> but you can tell that that's a Chinese lion statue. Yeah, I mean, it's limited animation, but the things that don't have to move always look spectacular. The backgrounds in Scooby-Doo, where are you? Some of the best art I've seen. Now, this background right here, I also have a note for. They enter an exhibit that has a bullhead statue and what appears to be some butt plugs behind glass. Well, hey, history of sex toys. My general thought here just has to do with the score. And I forgot the score has a lot of strange instrumentation. Like at one point, Scooby-Doo is pacing back and forth. And it's got one of those like clacker noisemakers, you know, that you would twirl around. That's kind of what it sounds like. And I'm into that. Or it's like a washboard sound. Why We're using washboards here. I don't know. It just seems strange and experimental, and that adds to the atmosphere for me. And it, it just seems all so fresh and good and cared for, and it's just such an important reason that Scooby-Doo is the Hanna-Barbera series that has lasted the test of time. Yeah, that it's good. You can put Scooby-Doo music in the Funky Phantom, but that's not going to make us forget that this foppish ghost is awful. You know, there's there's a charm that comes from Scooby-Doo that they were never able to emulate yeah. again. He's he It's physical comedy with an emotional heart. You don't doubt Scooby-Doo's heart for a second, even when it's beating super fast because he's running away from a ghost. I think it's time for verdict, Amelia. We've revisited this episode. What a night for a night. Is it a Scooby-Doo or a Scooby-Don't? I still feel like it's not the most spectacular way to kick off a series. I mean, they would have produced all these episodes at the same time, because you see a lot of them in the opening yeah. theme. I don't know. There's other episodes in season one that I think would have kicked it off a little mm. more spectacularly than The Black Knight. I'm going to leave it at a Scooby maybe. Honestly. Well, you were at a Scooby don't before. So are you upping to a Scooby Maybe? No, I was counting it that yours was a Scooby-Doo last time and that we rounded it to a Scooby Maybe. Okay. So I guess if that it makes it easier for you, I will just say, sure, Scooby Maybe. Okay, well, I'm, I'm keeping mine where it was at a Scooby-Doo. I think this is a fine episode. I think, like you say, there are better ones in Scooby-Doo Where Are You, which is why I'm not giving it the absolutely bump. But I had a grand old time watching this. My love for Mr. Wickles has not abated, and I think we did a damn fine job covering it this time. Coming up next is, oh my god, more Lego? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, we're heavy in the Lego period right now. Lego Scooby-Doo Haunted Hollywood. We're jumping right back into, when, when was that, 2016? Yeah, uh, March 27th, 2016, according to a quick Google search, so... That, that's our present day from now on. Still about five years out of date. It's never going to end. It's never going to end. <laughs> it's never going to end. Listeners, help us out in this never-ending journey. And find us online. To I don't know how that'll help, but just find us there. I'm at the Billy Seaguire. Amelia is at Fatal Amelia. And we can be found collectively at Scooby underscore Dews. And on that note, that's it from Scooby Dooby Us to Scooby Dooby You.
Now, when we redo a clue for Scooby-Doo, uh, how do you want to discuss that one? Amelia? Uh, 